Good evening, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy 2024. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. Tonight's going to be a fun night. I had a lot of stuff lined up, and then the incompetency in my abilities reared its ugly head, and I'm not able to do some stuff that I wanted to do tonight, so I'm going to have to reserve it for Monday. But this is Turfgrass Epistemology. How do we know what we know about turfgrass science? If you're listening on any of the podcast platforms, this will be the first episode of season two. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you, everybody in the chat already. I see. Happy New Year. This is going to be a fun episode. I have a video at the end. I put the video today at the end for a reason because I think it would be better. Um, I, I think my intent will be more easily understood after going through the article. It's a good example of a, a fairly rare, oh, and actually, I don't know if it's rare or not, but I, I just don't really come across it a whole lot in, um, in turfgrass science outside of salesmen basically selling blended fertilizer. So but anyway, I'm gonna go over it at the end today and um, that'll be fun. I always like doing that. We're up to over like 400. I think we have 400 for subscribers now. I think it is something like that. 400. And there's um, a whole lot of people watching on or listening on podcasts. I didn't, I don't, I just load the podcast. I load the episode on podcast like the day after it's low, it's live on YouTube. So I don't really keep up with the data too much, but there's quite a few people that listen on podcasts, I guess, you know, catch up on old episodes or whatever the case might be. So I'm glad I'm, I'm spending the time doing that. I sounds like at least now it sounds like it's worth my time. Some people actually use that. So I'm glad people are using that. So, um, before we start some housekeeping notes, this is January 3rd, 2024. I will be in my old stomping grounds of North Florida this month. And it will be on January 22nd. So two and a half weeks from now, if you want to go uh, listen to me blabber on about soil testing and, you know, turf grass management, go to the sports field management association and, and, uh, join or pay and go to their conference. It's over in Daytona this year. I haven't been in Daytona in probably, I don't even know, eight years, nine years. It's been a long time since I've been in Daytona. So I'll be over there in Daytona. I speak on Monday on soil testing. And then I think it's on Thursday, I'm speaking with, um, Mr. Ryan DeMay on ball fields on a budget. So both he and I will be splitting. He'll be doing the first hour and then I'll be doing the second hour on sports fields on budgets and basically how to stretch your dollars as far as you can, what you really need to focus on, what you can prioritize as lower priorities and so forth. If you're on a budget. So Monday and Thursday and Tuesday and Wednesday, I have nothing to do. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm going to rent a car and go to Gainesville, see some friends. I don't know. 
But if you're down there and you want to say hello, come up and shake my hand and give me a hug or whatever you like to do. Um, but one thing you will not find me, you will not find me out at night. I am basically a, um, a, the opposite of a, of a bat. <laughs> I come up when the sun comes up and I go down before it goes down. So I, I do not stay out late. I will be in bed asleep probably at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. So, but I'll be out floating around doing some, some something while I'm there. So if you want to come down and say hello and listen to some good turfgrass science stuff, feel free to come on down. The second thing I have that's on that, so that's on January 20, what I say? 22nd and the 25th. So it's a Monday and a Thursday. So my sports turf buddies from Gainesville, Jesse and the guys over at UF, I don't know if they're going or not, but maybe, maybe they'll be there. I don't know if they ever want listener to this show or not, but if they do listen, you better be there. <laughs> um, okay. And this, okay. So this, the last thing is, um, wh what is this? What is today? When today's the third Wednesday, Wednesday, the third. So a week from tomorrow, which is the 11th of January, I'll be on the, um, the grass factor on Thursday evening. I think, I think they do their show at nine on Thursdays. Now that Thursday night football is over with, I strategically chose the 11th because there's no more football on the, th on Thursdays. At least I hope so. Maybe I didn't do the calculations correct, but, and we are going to do some fun stuff on the grass factor. So like I've said before, it'll be a tremendous success or a tremendous failure. There will be no in between. So please, uh, if you're looking to see a lot of fun or a lot of people fall on their face, either way, it'll be entertaining. So <laughs> come on by next a week from tomorrow and watch me, uh, watch me and the guys over there have some fun. Okay. Let's get started today. Um, if you do want me to address something in your, in the chat, try to like notify me somehow, like say, Hey, Dr. Sh oh, there's, oh, there, okay. There's Ryan right there. Oh, you turf man. Dr. Shaddix. Happy new year. Happy new year to you. So, um, so just try to make sure you say something like Dr. Shaddix or Travis or turf epistemology or something. Otherwise I think you guys are talking to yourself, which is cool, but I probably will miss it if you really want me to address something while, throughout the day. Okay, so what I've decided to do uh, is I, I, I'm skipping all the way ahead, and I'm going to cover this one article that I did. This article was the sort of the end all of iron in my turf science career. I, I had I, up Before this paper was published, I had already conducted and published several other papers on iron, but I wanted to expand out a little bit beyond just Florida or which is where I did most of, most all of my research and really look, look beyond Florida with the purpose of seeing if there was ever any possibility of seeing any turf grass response to granular iron. Let's see if we can find a location where that might happen. And so I went out and, uh, talked to my friends and asked for their help and they sent me some soils and we did a soil solubility study in a number of states. And th this study, in my opinion, I know I'm the author, but I mean, 
show me another paper that, and then I'll change my, change my opinion. But in my opinion, this is the most exhaustive soil solubility iron study that I'm aware of anyway, because it has numerous states, numerous soils, numerous times. It was immense to do. And so I wanted to start with this one first because it has soils at different pHs and it has virtually every iron source you'll ever use. And in here, we're going to find exactly how long does iron remain soluble in all of these various soils, whether it's from iron citrate, whether it's from iron EDTA, iron sulfate, whatever, iron EDDHA, if you're in South Carolina, if you're in New Mexico, if you're in Ohio, wherever it is, I tried to get a an eclectic group of soils and really do a, a, a rather robust exhaustive study to see if there's ever an opportunity to see, will we see a, a, a turf response? In this case, we didn't do turf. We did soil solubility. But will we see any, any iron remain soluble? Okay. I'd already done m multiple turf grass iron studies before this paper, and we weren't seeing any response to the iron, to the granular iron at all. And so the question was, why is this happening? I mean, it just, there's nothing soluble and, uh, or there's very little that was soluble. And so I wanted to go out and really, you know, really do a more exhaustive study to see if there's ever an opportunity to see soluble iron and soils. So that's this study. And then from this study, when I go over the next several studies, um, on next week, I'll be back to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'll be able to refer back to this paper and, and hopefully you'll be able to digest the information a little easier when I say this is what I mean when I say iron citrate is not a soil chelate. We did it on all these soils and that you remember when I showed that paper. That's why I'm showing this paper first. Okay. Having said that, um, let's get started. And don't forget there's a video at the end and there is a, there is a very long song at the end that is an older song it was sort of a hidden song on this band's second release or first full album but their second release it was sort of a hidden song in there especially if you had the cassette or if, if you had the cds it was it would skip through like 50 60 different um tracks and then you would hear this track anyway that'll be at the end for those people that are interested in my musical <laughs> tastes <laughs> All right, let's get going. All right, the title of this paper is Solubility of 10 Iron Fertilizers in 11 North American Soils. Now, you'll see a large number of authors on this paper, and many of these people you will know. Uh, myself, Dr. Andy Fu, or he was the chemist who did all the work for me. Uh, David Gardner, who folks up in Ohio know him. Ryan Goss, not in New Mexico. Beth Gertal, Bill Kreuzer. Grady Miller in North Carolina, Barry Stewart in Mississippi, my graduate student, Kai Wan Tang, who's at Penn State now, but he's about to finish his PhD in Dr. Unruh. So there's a lot of authors on this paper. And the reason for that is my definition of, um, or my criteria for including an author in a paper is the paper would not have been possible without their input. So they wouldn't have been possible without their input. They're included as, as authors. And so uh, I'm just happy to have all these people participate and provide their expertise on this subject. Okay. I'm not, I'm going to go through this briefly and then I'm going to show all the results in on a different file. Okay. Cause it's the, the data in this uh, paper 
I think might be no offense to everybody else. I don't mean to speak poorly or how that sound, how this sounds, but it might be a little bit too much for the average person. So I've transferred it into like figures that might be a little easier to comprehend. I don't know. I don't hope that doesn't sound bad. I don't mean it to be a, a negative. Maybe you would understand it. I'm, I don't mean to presuppose, but just for the average person, I think it might be a little much to, to digest in the data. So I'm, I'm going to show in a different format. Okay, so the introduction basically is iron is a common component of granular fertilizers. You all, you all know I used to be a salesman. I used to be a sales, sales manager in Florida where we sold fertilizers and chemicals and seeds. And um, this study, and it was initiated th- and back then. I did the study in, when was this published? This was published in 2019, and it was in the Agronomy Journal. And... I think I did the study in 2018 and I published in 2019 and I stopped working for that fertilizer company in 2013. Well, so that thought had been in my mind for ages when I was working for them, when I saw this iron going into this fertilizer, I was thinking, how would you measure the turf grass response to just that, which is, it has to do with the video at the end. You know, we were blending N and P and K and magnesium and manganese and iron soil and all these things. And it's like, and we go to blend in the iron and it's just, you know, 45 pounds of iron sulfate or 110 pounds of iron sulfate or whatever in a 2,000 pounds or whatever the blend was, you know. And I just thought, how in the world are you going to measure that? How would, any, how would you even, if you could measure that, how would that even result in a turf response? And from there, it's sort of, I went onto the Florida football field and did some iron studies on the football field there. I didn't see anything. And it just sort of snowballed from there. It kept, asking, kept building and building and building. And we just, I did... I forget what it was. I think, I think I ended on 24, 25 studies, whatever the number is there. In fact, there was a paper in the Florida turf digest, I think from way back when, where I listed all the studies I did and, uh, we never really saw a response to granular iron. So, but, but the, the initial thought process began back when I was working for a fertilizer company. And that's what I said in the very first sentence of this paper, iron is a common component of granular fertilizers used in agriculture and horticulture. It's very common. Many, many, many blends. I mean, I, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's got to be well above half in turf, whether it's in golf or lawn care or whatever, have some component of iron in, at least from the company that I was working for. A lot of iron sulfate would go in granular fertilizers. It's commonly applied as iron sulfate, which which may rapidly convert into one of many oxide species. Okay. Uh, then I go through this process and I go through the explanation. Once oxidized, the iron available for, uh, for plant uptake is reduced, rendering the plant susceptible to iron chlorosis and so forth. So there's a problem applying iron in granular fertilizers because it can easily be oxidized and not be available for plant uptake. Synthetic chelates are manufactured by blending an iron source, normally iron sulfate with a variety of chelates. One can be EDDHA. This has been confirmed to have a result in turf responses, plant responses in very high pH soils. And I go through basically all the all the the uh, chelates, and let's see, Lindsay Lindsay EDT Lindsay applied EDTA DTPA and EDDHA to two successive sorghum crops and reported that yield of the first crop was influenced by each chelate. So we often have this concept where iron will not result in an increase in growth. That is not true. It's just not true. Sorry. Okay. If iron is the growth limiting nutrient, by definition, when you apply it, it will influence growth. And that's what I, that's what people have found in, in the literature. Lindsay found it on sorghum. We showed a paper the other day that found it on, was it Kentucky bluegrass? I can't remember. 
in most cases, iron is not the plant growth limiting nutrient. Yeah, iron is more of a cosmetic nutrient when we apply it. It's not, a, it's not intended to enhance the growth of the plant per se. It's more of a cosmetic thing. In those cases, you're right. It, it will not influence, most, in many cases, it will not influence the growth rate. But when it's the growth limiting nutrient, it will when it's applied. And it's been documented since at least 1974. Okay. And that goes, that's the same case for any element, by the way. It's not just iron. It can be any element. Whatever the the growth limiting element is, when it's applied, the growth will continue to grow until it reaches the next growth limiting element. It might be a different element. Um, and, And so on and so forth. That's how it works. Okay, soil solubility of iron is influenced by many factors. Perhaps the most common is soil reaction or pH. Ferrous, ferrous iron remains soluble for only a few minutes in aerated soils with a pH greater than 7. Now this guy right here, Dr. McBride, and this guy right here, Dr. Lindsay, 1974, are the only two people that I would say with some confidence knew what was going on with iron in the soil. They had a really good understanding, I would say. Dr. Lindsay published numerous papers in the 70s, 80s, even in the 90s. And Dr. McBride published one of the better books on soil chemistry. And he says right here, Fe2, which is the uh, the, uh, the form of iron that is generally, the, ma- the majority of iron that's taken up in the plant is taken up in the form of Fe2, remains soluble for only a few minutes and we're going to find that in this paper, okay? In aerated soils with hot pH greater than 7. We're going to find that even down to 5.1, okay? Not surprisingly, plants grown in high pH soils may exhibit iron deficiencies. Iron salts are commonly used to alleviate iron deficiency with varying results. Now, this Mortvet, he was extremely uh, well-published, extremely real, well-respected scientist. He published a lot of stuff on iron as well. But the results of applying iron to alleviate iron deficiency as a granular are varying, to say the least. Reducing the soil pH using either elemental sulfur or sulfuric acid has resulted in alleviation of iron deficiency in row crops, indicating that the solubility of iron is, to a great extent, pH controlled. This is true, and you've heard me say already many times in this this channel, that for the most part, using pH, soil pH, as an indicator of how much iron is going to be soluble or an indicator of susceptibility to iron chlorosis is not very wise. I stand by that. And this paper is one reason why I stand by that. This paper that I'm going to show you today, the one that I did. But what I mean by that is it's not a good indicator of how much iron is going to be available within the pH ranges of normal agronomic crops, like between, you know, five and eight, something like that. Once you get down way low, the ones, the twos with say, say sulfuric acid, you get way down there low, then the pH does have a great effect on soluble iron, even in the fours, like low fours. Then you can start to have some solubility of iron influenced by that. You can see that on the soil test and so forth, the influence on the pH. But by that point, the, the plant is very likely not doing well at all. So within the, the normal range of plant growth, say, you know, five to seven, eight, something like that, or even higher. I mean, you know, down to five, you're really not going to see pH go, well, pH is seven. And so I'm going to lower it to six so I can have more iron in the soil. That doesn't always work. 
and it's not a good management practice to follow. I'm going to invest this time in these resources to lower my pH from seven to six and a half because I want more iron available. That's not generally the way it works. You have to get it way down there low to really see any soluble iron. Okay. And most of the iron that the plants going to take up is taken up at the, through the efforts of the plant, not through solubility in the soil. The plant itself will solubilize that iron. And I'm going to go over that in probably two or three weeks. And there's in that, that pH uh, diagram that we've all seen, I'm going to go over that document that explains that. And there's at least three elements on that, on that diagram where when the solubility in the soil goes up, the actual uptake of the element goes down. Okay. That's, you heard me right. When the solubility in the, when the soil solubility of at least three elements goes up, the uptake of that element will re be reduced. That's the reason that diagram is you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be following that diagram. I've been saying this for ages and ages. Finally, someone published a really good article on it. So I'm going to go over that in a couple of weeks. But in, what he's saying here is when you're, when you're applying sulfur or sulfuric acid, this can actually help alleviate. In those cases, you're lowering the pH down to two, at least around that elemental sulfur when it's oxidizing to sulfuric acid. You're lowering it down to one and a half or two, way, way down there low. In those cases, there can be some solubility of iron. Achelate, achelate is the product of chemical reaction of a chemical reaction between a metal cation and a chelating agent in which the cation is attached to the chelating agent through coordinated covalent bonds. That's the APCO definition. The reason I put that in there is because, well, the next sentence, this definition does not require that a chelate results in an increase in the metal's solubility in soil. And researchers have reported as such. Goose, Goose and Germain, this guy's awesome. He published a lot of good work. And then my paper in 2016. So the reason I put that in there is just because APCO defines it as a chelate does not mean that it will increase the solubility of that metal in the soil. And that's what we're going to find in today's paper. APCO has their definitions and they do actually a pretty good job of keeping, keeping them all lined up. And they do a lot of, they do a lot of really actually quite good work with uh, contacting the experts and getting their definitions and using the evidence to guide them. But the definition is only a chemical reaction between a metal cation and a chelating agent in which the cation is attached to a chelating agent through coordinated covalent bonds. That's it. Whether or not it influences the solubility and solution of the soil is another issue. Okay. For example, iron citrate, iron citrate fits that, fits that definition, <coughs> but it does not increase solubility in the, in the soil solution except immediately like iron sulfate, basically immediately afterwards, there can be some, but we're going to find that today. Natural organic chelates are manufactured by reacting metal salts with a variety of organic compounds. Generally non uh, natural organic chelates are less expensive than synthetic chelates, but many studies have concluded that these natural organics do not alleviate iron chlorosis as effectively as synthetics. And we're going to find that's probably due to the solubility because natural organic chelates do not remain soluble, do not keep the cation soluble for very long. The ability of synthetic chelates to increase iron solubility in the soil has been well studied. However, new, new products such as iron oxide as a dry dispersible powder, you know, I'll, I'll hold off until I get to the description. Iron humate, IDHA, which, uh, which is an organic chelate from the, in, in Europe. I think it's in Denmark, I think is where it's manufactured. I might be wrong on that. 
Iron polysaccharide and iron citrate have not been investigated comparatively with other well-documented chelates, particularly across a variety of soils. Therefore, the objective of the study was to determine if new iron technologies increase the solubility of iron above baseline soil levels. That was a pretty bad objective. I could have written that much better than that. If I was writing that today, this would be written completely different. Yeah, that sucks. Oh, well. Uh, the materials and methods. 11 soils were used in the study. I'm going to go over the soils. Eight soils were collected from turf grass swords, including research plots and golf course fairways. One soil was collected from a hardwood forest. One soil was collect collected from corn. And one soil was collected from wheat. Let's go over these soils real quick. I'm going to show a map here in a second. But I, the, uh, I have the geographic coordinates of the exact location where each soil sample was taken. If you want to copy those down, you can go find out exactly where these were taken. It was taken from Columbus, Ohio, Raleigh, North Carolina, Jay, Florida, Davie, Florida, Starkville, Mississippi, Auburn, Alabama, Fort Collins, Colorado, Bernalillo, New Mexico, Tecumseh, Oklahoma, Sumter, South Carolina, and Lincoln, Nebraska. Okay, those, those, that's the details of all the soils here in Table 1. All right, so how do, what did I do here? So I have all these soils. I have, I think there's 11 soils, and I had... Uh, did I go over the, the key uh, the elements? No, I didn't go over the elements, the treatments yet. Okay. So soils were incubated with 10 iron source, iron sources for one hour. So these are the time levels, one hour, one, seven, 14 and 21 days. Four applications were used. Treatments were arranged in a randomized complete block design and including an untreated control in iron as iron sulfate, iron humate, iron oxide, iron polysaccharide, iron citrate, glucoheptanate, IDDA, IDHA, EDTA, DTPA, and EDDHA. Okay. This was a ridiculously large study. It was so massive that we would have to, we would have had to have probably, I had myself and Teddy working on it. So we would have probably had to have say I would say maybe six people in order to do this all at one shot we couldn't do that we didn't have the space for that or the people for that so it says right here because laboratory space was limited each time level was measured separately and completed prior to initiating the next time level so I couldn't do all the time levels together I'd already prior to this done another study which I'll go over on Monday or Tuesday where it was a smaller study and even that smaller study was so massive I did all the times at one shot and it was myself and um, um, Natasha Myself and Natasha were just constantly trying to keep up because the time levels were hitting every time. It was just, it was insane to keep up with because there was so much work to do and you had to do it at the right, exact right time. It couldn't be done because we multiplied that by 11. Now we're doing 11 soils. And so basically make a long story short is it was a huge study. We had to do one time level, then reset everything, then do another time level, then reset everything. So this took many months to get this completed. Okay. So yeah. So anyway, that's, that's how it was set up. The, I don't care if you don't think you guys care about the iron analysis. Let me look here. We ran the iron analysis. Like you'd normally run the iron analysis. You let's see here for those st statistic nerds in the, in the audience, like myself, if you're interested in the stats on this, I don't know why you would be, but maybe <laughs> I am. So maybe you would be too. Who knows? These are the stats. 
I'm going to, you know what, let me show this because I'm going to show, I'm going to show an article in about a month or two on humic acids. That is an unbelievably bad article. It's awful. It's horrible. And, and it's in agronomy journal, unfortunately. But the reason I'm going to show this here is because this is about as simple as you're going to find uh, an ANOVA table that technically this is a type three test of fixed effects, but it's it's the Glimmick's equivalent of the ANOVA table. Anyway, when you see soils and treatments, these are the two main effects. And then you see soil times treatment, which is the interaction. When you see at each time level, okay, you see highly, you see significance at each time level. What this tells the reader, the scientist as I'm writing it, and then the reader as they're reading it, is that you cannot look at soils alone. You have to look at soils within each treatment, or you can't look at treatments alone. You have to look at treatments within each soil. There's a there's a paper I don't know how the heck it got into Agronomy Journal, but it 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 has interactions and then they they show the pooled averages of all these different ones and they sh you can't do that anyway. That's the reason I'm showing this here is because when you see these interactions, what it means is is that what happened for each treatment was different within each soil. So you can't pool all the treatments among soils. You have to show what happened within each soil because there was an interaction. Okay, let me get to the results. I know that's boring stuff to you guys. Okay, real quick, I'm gonna I'm gonna read through this for those people listening. I'm gonna read through just some basic information about the soils. These are all the eleven soils in Table Four. I know there's some people listening who aren't gonna be watching this. So the I did some uh, the chemical analysis of these soils, including the organic matter, the salt salt, the pH, the CEC, and all the elemental analysis, phosphorus and potassium and so forth. So with some key key points I want to make sure we're clear on is that the pH is ranged from 7.9 in the New Mexico soil. And don't worry about the the type you're not going to know this because it's a it's it's a they're all listed up here in this other table this other table and you got it's you got to go back and forth. I want to make it easy on you guys. I've transferred it all to a separate file. But these are how you read it. The Brookston and the Penavecchis right here was in New Mexico. So if you go down here and you see Penavecchis, uh, the, the New Mexico soil was 7.9. And in the other soil, that, and it ranges from 7.9 to 5.1. So the 5.1 was from Starkville, Mississippi. All right. So, and don't worry if you're from, you know, Ohio and you want to see your soil pH, you're going to see that in a second. Okay. Or if you're in New Mexico or you're in Colorado and you want to see what the soil was in your soil, it's all here, but I'm going to show it in an easier format in a few minutes. Uh, okay, so the so that the pH range from 5.1 to 7.9 in all these soils. Okay, all right. Now here's all the data. This is what I meant earlier. I didn't mean to offend anybody. Maybe you know, maybe this is your thing and you want to read through all the data. But here's all the data. This so each soil, like this is the Brookston soil, this is the Nun soil, this is the Penavecchi soil, and so forth. This is the Cecil soil. And you gotta read through here and look at all these letters and look at you know the time levels, one hour, one day, all the way to 21 days. It's just a lot. I don't know how many data points are in this table, but it goes all the way to the next page, for goodness sake. I mean, it's a huge table. And it's a lot to look through. But I'm gonna show one on this table, and then I'm gonna go to a line line graphs, okay? I'm going to show what, so that way you can go back and look if you want to look at it. So let's look at the Brookston soil just because it happens to be alphabetically the first one. When you look through at the one hour time level, this is non-treated soil and you're going to see 0 0.5, 0 0.5, 0 0.5. What this is, is the minimum detectable limit. So in untreated soil, I can't say there's no iron. No soil scientist can say there's no phosphorus or no iron. You can only say the iron in this treatment was below detectable limit limits and the detectable limit 
detectable limit was 0.5. Okay, 0.5 parts per million. That was the lowest detectable limit. So when I have it untreated, you're going to see 0.5s, and all of these are going to be 0.5 all the way down to IDHA. And even IDHA has a C next to it. So it's, it's the same as non-treated non soil. The only thing in this particular soil at one hour after application that increased soluble iron was EDTA, DTPA, and EDDHA because these letters, um, A's and B's, are different from the C. Okay, so that's how you're going to read this whole table. At one day, the EDTA, DTPA, and EDDHA were different, and you'll see this all the way through until the 21 day where only DTPA and EDDHA were different from non-treated soil. Okay, so none of, this, none of the iron sources in this particular soil increased soluble iron in the soil above background levels, above non-treated soil, except EDTA, DTPA, and EDDHA. Okay. Oh, actually, actually, and they only did it for, oh, here, oh, I see, I'm sorry, mistake. They only did it for, here you see, all these are bees. So they only did that for seven days. On 14 days, the, the EDTA and the DTPA were the same as non-treated. I'll get into that in a second, okay? Actually, I'll get into it right now. But that's the way I want you to be able to be able to understand and read through this if you're so inclined to do so. That's how you'd go through and see at what time in this soil did this iron treatment you know, how long did it remain soluble? That's how you'd read it. You'd go across your EDDHA. There's the untreated is CCCBC, and EDHA is a different letter at every time level. That means EDDHA increased solubility of iron for the entire 21-day period compared to non-treated soil. Okay, now let's go to the PowerPoint, if I can do this. Okay, so now let me skip back up here. Okay, to give you an idea what it, this, this study kind of looked like, this was a picture of, a, of something else I did, a different study, same exact setup, same exact layout, but it was just a different study. And I'm going to try to find, here we go, right here. So um, all the soils were put in these cups, and these are how we incubated them, kept them all moist, and we extracted them and so forth. This is what it looks like. This is one table. This particular study had cups all the way on this table. Then there's another table here, and there's it was a mess. It was a huge, huge study. That was the smaller of the studies. <laughs> the study that I'm talking about now was 11 times bigger than this. So anyway, that's kind of what you're looking at when you're looking at studies like this. Now, this is the map of, this, of the locations we, I did this in. You can see Colorado, Nebraska, and Ohio, and North and South Carolina, and so forth, all the way down to Fort Lauderdale and the Panhandle of Florida. I think Gardner Earth Guy, he's not here today. I don't see him in the chat, but he's up in uh, near Jay, Florida. I think we have some viewers up in Ohio. I think um, I know we have some viewers up in Ohio. So, I mean, you know, you can kind of get an idea of where I pulled these soils from or where I had my friends pull the soils from. Now, when we go to New Mexico, these are all going to be listed from highest pH soil to lowest pH soil. And you're all the all these figures that you're going to see on for the next 11 slides are all going to be the exact same setup. You're going to see days after initiation from zero to 21 days on the X axis and soluble iron as a, as a percent of what was applied on the Y axis. Okay. Now you're going to see some of the ledge, some of these figures, you're going to see a legend over here that has four iron sources or one's the untreated. Some of them are going to be more than four. But when you see these these four, or really three, because non-treated non is not one, but these four, that means somewhere on this time scale, they differed from non-treated. 
don't forget, I've, I've left, I put these up here in yellow. All of these were also applied, but they're all, I, I eliminated the lines because it, it's a huge, well, they're all on here and I made the legend huge here. Don't forget, there's still iron oxide, there's still iron humate, there's still glucoheptanate, there's still sulfate, all these things, polysaccharide, all these things are still on this. They just didn't differ from the yellow, from the untreated. They were the same as non-treated. I just removed them because just to make the graphs cleaner. Okay. You know what? Let me, I, f I forgot one thing. Let me go back to this real quick. I wanted to go, I forgot. I wanted to talk about this one thing real quick and then I'll jump right back to where I was. Sorry. Remember, I'm a one man show. Mistakes will be made. <laughs> I wanted to go back to this right here. Where these iron products, where they were, what are they and where they were made? So I had a non-treated iron sulfate, which was the lab grade heptahydrate iron sulfate, vig iron, which was the iron humate, wolf tracks, which is the iron oxide. Now they built a plant down in South Florida that makes manganese and iron, and they might even have magnesium. I can't remember. And they grind it into a fine powder or they, they it's a byproduct or whatever. They, when they have it, it's a fine powder, almost like talcum powder, very, very fine material. And they coat that onto fertilizer. And it can seem enticing or convincing that a product like that might be valuable to you because it coats all the fertilizer. It's kind of like sparging like pendomethalin or something on your fertilizer because every single fertilizer preel has a little bit of it on there. But it's still iron oxide. So that's the oxide source in this study that I used was wolf tracks. Sweet iron was the polysaccharide. Citrate I got is a laboratory grade from, uh, from Fisher Scientific. Glucoheptanate, I had that custom made for me from Hawking because I couldn't get um, what I needed just for this. So I had to have them custom make me an iron glucoheptanate that just had that in there. And that glucoheptanate had 6% iron. Notice the iron oxide had 58% iron, just like regular iron oxide would. The oligo iron, this is the IDHA. In Netherlands, I think I said Denmark earlier. I'm sorry. It's 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 manufactured in the Netherlands, and then the laboratory grade in Sprint 330 and 138 of EDTA and DTPA and EDDHA and so forth. So these are the iron sources. They, they vary from 58% iron oxide, 20% iron sulfate, 15% iron humate, all the way down to 6% in EDDHA and in glucoheptanate. Okay. Some of these were. Um, some of these arrived as liquids, some of these arrived as powders, but all of them were uh, injected onto the soils through a liquid pipetter system. Okay. That's how they were all applied. Now, back to the PowerPoint. Now, okay. So, in New Mexico at 7.9, you're going to see the gray line is EDDHA. But notice when you, when you apply EDDHA, people have this misconception, like I'm going to apply EDDHA and it's going to be there forever. Whatever well, ED, the EDDHA actually might be there forever. It's, it's very hard to break down, but the iron in there is, uh, about 40% of it is immediately oxidized in the first hour. So if you're paying, well, whatever you're paying for EDDHA, let's say it's $20,000 a ton, $10,000 is gone in the first hour. <laughs> think of it like that. And actually, I think it's worse than that. I think it's like 30,000 or 40,000 a ton. I don't know what it is, but it's crazy expensive. Half of it's gone in the first hour. Okay. 60% of it's gone in the first week. I don't mean gone in terms of plant uptake. I mean, oxidized, unavailable for plant uptake in the first hour. Think about that. Okay. 
you're going to buy a stock and immediately you know that your 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 you know financial advisor is going to tell you you're going to buy this stock for $10,000 I'm going to guarantee you in the first hour it's going to decline in value by 40%. You wouldn't buy it. It's absurd. <laughs> I mean it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but that's what's going to happen. It's going to it's going to oxidize or at least become the iron in it is going to not be soluble. And in the first hour, 40% is going to be insoluble in the first hour. EDTA and DTPA are soluble, even at 7.9, but only for the first hour. They very rapidly oxidize out. Very rapidly oxidize out at 7.9. Okay, so they're really of no value. I, I don't know where this line... I did one hour in one day, and one day is right in here. So I don't know if this line does this, or does this, or you know does that. I don't know what that line does. But the EDTA and the, ED and the DTPA basically were of no value sometime after one day, between one day and seven days. I don't know exactly where. But very rapidly, they will oxidize as well at, at a pH of 7.9. So EDDHA, if you're going to apply a soil chelate, is really the only option at 7.9. Anything above 7, real, well, no, that's not true. A DTPA can be valuable above 7. But, but EDDHA is the only one in terms of soil. Even and even EDDHA, sixty percent of it is is um, insoluble after a week. There's, but there's still forty percent remaining soluble, so you can look at it like that. Next one, seven point nine, uh, seven point eight. That was seven point nine. This is seven point eight, and you'll see at seven point eight, the EDDHA is you know rapid again, rapidly oxidized, rapidly insoluble, but remains thirty five some or thirty percent soluble all the way out to 21 days. And you can see the EDTA and the DTPA. Again, they were soluble for the first hour, first day, and then they rapidly become insoluble. And you can go back to the table and tell exactly where on this time scale those no longer differ from non-treated soil. I don't know if it was, I can't, you can go back to the table and look on the Colorado soil, but somewhere in this general area, the from one around one day, the EDTA and DTPA become insoluble in the Colorado soil at 7.8. And don't forget, oxide, humate, glucoheptanate, sulfate, all these were also applied. None of them differed from non-treated soil. Polysaccharide, citrate, citrate was the same as non-treated at 7.9 and 7.8. No difference in citrate. And citrate's a very common iron chelate, especially in liquids and turf grass management. Iron citrate's all over these labels. And it may be valuable in the tank, in the jug, but not in the soil. Okay, at least not at 7.9 and not at 7.8 so far. So this is what we've seen. We're going to keep going. 7.4. All these are still the same as non-treated. Oxide, humate, glucohepinate, IDHA, citrate, polysaccharide did nothing in terms of increasing iron solubility compared to the non-treated soil. Nothing. The EDTA, DTPA, and EDHA is very similar to the 7.8. The EDHA had superior solubility but it's still about 30%. It still had a huge amount of its iron become insoluble in the first day. Huge amount. So you just paid, someone needs to look it up and tell me what the cost is on EDDHA. $100 for five pounds. Oh, is that Rich the long guy just put in? Well, thank you, Rich, if that's true. $100 for five pounds. I don't know if that's true, but it, I, I, okay, let's assume it's true. So $40,000 a ton. That sounds about right, if, if my math's right. So $40,000 a ton, you bought this, let's, you're not going to buy a ton, but let's say you bought $40,000 a ton, you lost 
70% of that $40,000 in the first day. If you used EDDHA on this, so you lost $28,000 in the first day if you bought a ton of it, um, a ton of EDDHA. But it's the only chelate that, rem- that kept any amount of it, the iron soluble for the 21 days. The EDTA and the DTPA, you can look again on the Ohio soil. This is 7.4 in the Ohio soil. You can look and see exactly where it starts to no longer differ from the non-treated soil, but somewhere, I'm going to say the, probably somewhere around seven days, if I remember correctly, it no longer differed from the non-treated. So you have a week and you have very, very little iron. 90% from EDTA and DTPA has already been insolu- become insoluble. 90% right here. This is what I'm talking about. These two iron sources, which are very common at 7.4, 90% has already become insoluble. Okay. Now we go to 7.0 in Fort Lauderdale. Now we're right at that line, sort of like there's some solubility from EDTA and it's starting to kind of change things. And you see, now you see citrate and IDHA pop up on the screen. Okay, oxide, humate, glucoheptanate, sulfate, and polysaccharide are still doing absolutely nothing for us. So all the extra money we spent on glucoheptanate, humate, and this, this wolf tracks oxide and polysaccharide, all the extra money you spent above iron sulfate was wasted. <clears throat> Didn't do anything for us. Now, <clears throat> we see citrate and IDHA pop up on the screen, right? Oh, citrate. Well, you said, I thought you said, Travis, citrate's not an iron, iron chelate. <clears throat> well, well, let's look at it. Here's iron citrate. In the first day, 90% has been insoluble. In it, one week there was nothing, so it was nothing. So, so basically, in the first twenty-four hours, ninety percent or more of citrate, the iron in iron citrate, is completely insoluble, or insoluble in in 0.01 molar calcium chloride, I should say. But you know, pragmatically speaking, I'm saying it's insoluble. <clears throat> the IDHA, we do see some solubility from this um, from this organic chelate, okay, and it re- it remained for a week or two, actually. Okay, I don't know exactly where it, it becomes equal to um, non-treated soil, but we did see some. Now, remember, this is Fort Lauderdale. This is basically beach sand. All right? This is where I worked down there for three years or so as a professor down there. This is essentially beach sand is what this is. And you see EDTA, DTPA, and EDDHA all, for the most part, being very similar in the solubility, starting at about 65% solubility. And they kind of slowly creep down to 40, 50% solubility at three weeks. So this study at 7.1 on beach sand in Fort Lauderdale, basically, there'd be no value on spending any money on DTPA and EDDHA because EDTA gave us the solubility equal to those. Okay. Okay, that's a little bit of an oddball because it is so sandy. The, the, the soil pH is probably not the driving factor in this particular case. There's other things playing here, but, you know, that's what we found in Fort Lardo. Let's go to North Carolina, 6.5. 6.5, we see right back off the screen again, citrate and IDHA are no longer soluble. All these are back to where they were. Glucoheptanate, sulfate, polysaccharide, oxide, all these are completely insoluble compared to non-treated soil. Doing nothing for us. Oh, I'm, I'm spraying iron citrate. It says it's chelated or it's, it's complexed with iron citrate or whatever the case is. Doesn't matter. I don't care. It doesn't matter. 
And as far as the soil, it might matter in the tank. Don't forget, it might matter in the jug. It might matter getting through your screens. That might matter. But in the soil, it doesn't matter. It's the same as applying nothing. That's what these data say. And remember, the first time point was one hour right there. The first time point I pulled it was one hour. The second time point was one day right there or whatever, right there, something like that. So it's gone. Forget it. <laughs> the iron citrate is gone. You know, you can, we can, I don't know any studies that looked at how, how it maintains solubility in the jug and maintains compatibility with all these other compounds in the, in the tank and all that. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there is. Maybe there's not. I don't know. I don't know any studies that have actually looked at that. But that's the only location where I can think to see any value to paying for these chelates is in the tank before you get it on the plant. Because when you get it on the soil, it's gone. Don't call it a chelate when it gets on the soil because it's not. Same thing with glucoheptanate. Glucoheptanate is not a soil chelate. Not, it's not a soil chelate, guys. I don't care if you powder coat this stuff with iron oxide. It's not going to help. It's still oxidized. It's still not available in any way. Okay? That's the North Carolina at 6.5. We see uh, EDTA and EDDHA having, you know, roughly the same solubility. About 30% of the iron was remained soluble for about three weeks, something like that. Alabama, 6.3. Citrate and IDHA come back on the screen again. Citrate, oh, look what happened. One day, it's all gone. <laughs> so here's the citrate again, and we see completely insoluble in one day. 24 hours after application, the iron from iron citrate is gone. It's equivalent to non-treated soil, guys. The IDHA did hang on here for a little bit, 6.3. This is, I think it was equivalent at a, at a week here, but there was some minor solubility. Don't forget, we're still talking about 80% of the iron is gone. Just because you see this line, well, there's a little difference here. There might be, yeah, statistically there might be a little difference, but still we're talking, at, talking about 20% of what we applied is still is, is remaining soluble. The other 80% is gone, okay? The chelates, the EDTAs, and the DTPAs, and the EDDHAs, a lot of their iron's gone too, but their, their solubility is 40, 50% still out to two or three weeks. That's 6.3. Nebraska, 5.9, same, roughly, basically the same thing. Okay. DTPA, EDTA, and uh, EDDHA, they have some solubility way out to two weeks, three weeks, but it's, you know, 30% of what you applied roughly. Give or take, it's somewhere between 30 and 50% is going to remain soluble from these from these chelated sources. The citrate, although there's um, it did show up on the screen. Look look what happens to citrate again. One day it's gone. IDHA one day it's gone. Right down here. Let's look at South Carolina five point seven. We're getting more and more acidic now. We started at seven point nine. Don't forget. Now we're getting more and more acidic. We see the three main chelates do their job. Basically, what we're, we've been talking about. Now we're more acidic. We see the eighty percent at the beginning now instead of fifty. And we see 60% solubility from these EDTA and the DTPA. And we see that in this 5.7 soil now. Citrate, we do see a little bit of solubility here, 50, 40. Now, I don't know what happened between this point right here and this point right here. It could be the blue line. It could be the red line like this. It could be this. And I don't, I don't know what happens between these two points. But there was some solubility of iron citrate in this specific soil for the first day. And then here it was the same as non-treated. So I don't know where it gets cut off. <clears throat> okay, this I think this was the only soil that had any amount of soluble iron after the first day from citrate. All the other ones was, were insoluble. Okay. 
oxide, humate, glucopeptonate, sulfate, and polysaccharide never did anything. Oklahoma, 5.7. If anybody knows where Tecumseh, Oklahoma is, you will impress the hell out of me, okay? <laughs> because I don't know anybody that knows where Tecumseh, Oklahoma is. Unless you look on a map. Tecumseh, Oklahoma. <clears throat> Give or take the same thing, 30 or 40% solubility for a couple of weeks from the three main chelates. And citrate is insoluble in one day. Everything else is the same as non-treated. Okay. Basically the same as non-treated. J, Florida. We see the only three chelates, the only chelates that did anything were the three main chelates. There was, again, 30 or 40% solubility, a very drastic decline, obviously, at the very beginning from all these. You know, goes from 100% solubility down to about 40 or 50% solubility, and then it fades down to about 30% solubility. Nothing else increased iron, soluble iron, above background level soils, even at 5.3. So citrate, polysaccharide, glucoheptanate, so this is the number one, don't forget sulfate is the number one granular iron source in turf grass management. It never increased soluble iron in the soil above the non-treated control. Never. Not at one hour, not at one day, not at seven days, never. And this is what everybody's applying in your granular fertilizer. Okay, let's go to 5.1 in Mississippi. We see, again, citrate for one day and boom, gone. That's the only time you really see citrate doing anything is the first 24 hours, so I don't consider it a chelate. Okay? And then the other three chelates kind of level off at about 20, 25% at this 5.1 soil. You would think, let's go back a little bit. You would think at higher, at lower pHs, like 5.1, you would see more solubility. You'd think these lines would be going up. Maybe they're going down here, but you'd think they'd be up here in the 70s and the, the 80s and 90s and 5.1 soils relative to you know 7 point whatever soils or 6.0 soils. You would think if you, if you were buying into the idea that soil pH reductions are going to increase solubility, then you have to, you have to believe that these chelates are going to be up here at the low pH compared to the high pH. 5.1, we see 30% soluble iron. Okay, let's go backwards. We see 5.9, 30% soluble iron. We see 7.0. Now at 7.0, the lines are actually higher. At 7.0, we see soluble from these chelated iron source actually greater up in the 60% when it's 7.0. Okay, 7.0, it's at 7.4, it's back down to the 20s and 30s. So it, it can vary greatly. Oh, well, we've got too many lines on these things now. It can vary greatly, but don't for a second believe that there's very strong evidence that I'm going to lower my pH and I'm going to increase the, I'm sorry, I'm going through all these soils. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lower my pH and I'm going to increase the solubility of my iron or I'm going to increase the efficacy of my, of my chelate. I'm trying to get rid of these lines. I can't get rid of these lines now. Well, I'm going to lower the pH so that way my chelate is more effective. That's not what this says. 5.1, they're still 20, 30% soluble at one day or one at uh, one week, two weeks, and three weeks. At 7.0, they were higher than, than the 5.0, 5.1. Okay. 
That's what I've been trying to say for a while, guys. I know you guys got this, you know, not, maybe not you all, but I know this idea exists in the turf grass industry that iron, you should, you should not use the, the soil test iron. And I agree. Don't use a soil test, uh, to determine whether or not you need to apply iron. That's not a very reliable method at all, but neither is using soil pH. I mean, that's what this says. Just because it's 5.1 does not immediately mean that it's going to have more iron. in It, it might, but 7.0 had more iron in it than 5.1. We're talking about the, more, the greater solubility from the chelates. Okay? So that's basically what all of those data in these tables say. All these data are those, are those graphs. That's the reason I turned it into graphs, because I didn't want to have to go through all these data tables and confuse everybody. Okay? So I'm going to read through this real quick, and then we'll be done, and we'll go to the video. The discussion. Due to a lack of published research, it is difficult to provide context to the results from iron oxide, humate, polysacchar and polysaccharide. Soil humic compounds can form stable complexes with iron. Now, remember, I've talked about this before when it comes to ligand interactions. Organic complexes can solubilize iron okay, through its oxidation. The organic complexes can be oxidized. The ligands can bind it and create uh, an environment that is more conducive to soluble iron. It, that can happen. However, the lack of iron solubility reported in the current study agrees with Stevenson 1991, who stated that complexes with humic substances are generally considered insoluble. The insolubility of the iron humic complex may be a result of precipitation due to protonation formation of hydroxy complexes of iron at high pH. Formation of chain-like structures through metal ion bridges or attached to clay particles. Although iron humate resulted in no increase in soluble iron compared with untreated soil, this does not necessarily indicate that iron humate would be ineffective in treating iron chlorosis. This, this Sesco 2002 investigated the influence of iron humate derived from peat moss on iron uptake in cucumber and barley and reported iron supplied as humate can be taken up by cucumber and barley. The same Sesco 2002 paper postulated that the mechanism of uptake was a possibly due to ligand exchange between the humic fraction and phytosiderophores excreted from the plant roots. A plant function. That's the problem with that soil pH diagram is that it does not include the plant. I couldn't care less about some freaking number in the soil unless there is a very strong correlation between that number and a plant response. The plant is what we're after, guys and gals. And in the case of iron, the plant plays a major role in the solubility of iron that of the iron that will eventually be taken up into the plant. And that that diagram that I'm going to go over in a couple weeks has no function, no part of iron, uh, no part of the plant is is shown on that diagram. And that's what this is saying. He found this, and he he postulated that it's probably due to the, the excretion from the plant roots. Thus, excretion of plant-derived chelates may be necessary for plant uptake of iron from iron humate to occur. This additional step may not be a concern because many soils of agronomic importance commonly contain a variety of natural chelates, which may allow insoluble iron to contribute to iron nutritional plants. Nevertheless, the results of the present study clearly indicate that iron oxide, <clears throat> iron humate, iron glucoheptanate, iron sulfate, which is the number one granular iron source, guys, and, poly, and iron polysaccharides do not increase soluble iron in the soil solution, and these results should be considered prior to the use of these iron sources. Okay? I don't care how much you want to go out and 
do a rain dance over the fertilizers and you want to get down on your hands and knees and pray over the fertilizer, that iron sulfate is going to oxidize in one hour or less in, in the, all the soils that I've studied between pHs of 5.1 and 7.9. That's the reason I'm saying that you can't take a, a pH and just say, oh, it well, you lower it and that iron might be more soluble. Might be. Probably not going to be, though. Okay, probably not going to be. Not within the ranges of normal agronomic pHs. It's got to get way down there low, four or less, to really see some influence of those iron sources in terms of solubility. Chelates were more effective at increasing soluble iron in the acidic soils than the neutral and alkaline soils, table five. <clears throat> Excuse me. Increased iron solubility at low pH compared with high pH has been well documented. Okay, well, now I showed all these other papers. Oh, then I showed the, oxi uh, the, oxi okay, the oxidation rate law, which I'm not going to go into. Um, to this end, iron solubility is depressed by the formation of various iron oxide species. So what that says is, is that when iron oxide forms into a solid, the solubility of iron is being reduced. In other words, that, that's the dominating portion. That's what's driving the, the, the insolubility is the solid phase of iron. To this end, and, that's, this, and it's obvious from this rate law. Okay, the oxidation rate law dissolved Fe2. And I go through, and, I, and this is outlined here, and I'm not going to go through it all, but it has the, <clears throat> the partial pressure of oxygen included and all these other things. <clears throat> iron solubility is depressed by the formation of various iron oxide species. That's what drives the ship. <clears throat> the conclusions, and we're going to get to a video. Because I'm starting to lose my voice here. <clears throat> Evidence did not support the hypothesis that iron oxide, iron humate, iron glucoheptanate, iron sulfate, and iron polysaccharide increase iron in the soil solution compared to untreated soil. <clears throat> it can't get any more simple than that, guys. Straightforward. If you're using any of those iron sources and you think applying it to the soil is going to help or you think you should apply it to the soil, there is almost no evidence in turfgrass science that it's of any value to you at all. And in this particular study on all of these soils, I didn't find an ounce of evidence that would indicate there would be, it would be a wise decision to apply any of these elements, any of these uh, products to the soil. Okay. Iron citrate and iron IDEHA increased iron solubility for one day in some soils. Remember I pointed that out. But considering this short time, the use of iron citrate and IDHA as a soil applied iron is questionable. I'd say iron EDTA increased iron solubility in soils with pHs equal to or less than seven, but did not increase iron solubility in soils greater than seven. So if you want to go out and you say, I'm going to, you know, I got it, Travis, but I'm not going to spray out any iron. I can't do it. I'm only going to spread it out. So what should I use? Iron EDTA is really the only granular option, but if your pH is greater than seven, it's useless. Don't, I mean, there's no option. Spread out EDTA iron, but only when the soil is less than pH of seven. That's what this study shows. There's not going to be any solubility of any meaningful level when the pH is greater than seven. And Lindsay found the same thing in his in 1980s paper. I've 80, I can't remember the date on it. I'll, I'll go over it again if I need to. It was the very first paper I ever went over on this channel. Iron DTPA increased iron solubility in each soil, except when pH was greater than or equal to 7.9. So DTPA was a good chelate, but not when it got to 7.9. The only one that did it at 7.9 was 
was EDDHA. Okay. <clears throat> I'm go back to me. I'm going to get a drink of water because my throat <clears throat> is about to go. So when I go to the other papers in the, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking about pH and iron solubility and why we didn't see a turf response. And sometimes the authors postulate, well, we didn't think we saw a turf response because of this or because of that. I'm going to use this to come back to and say, you remember that paper I went over? You remember when the, on, on that pH 5.1 versus 7.0 versus 7.9, there was no solubility from any of those soils. <clears throat> That's why. <clears throat> That's why we didn't see a response. Or they didn't see a response. Excuse me one second. I think I got about 10 minutes left before my voice completely collapses. <clears throat> but I'm going to come back to this paper over and over. It's the most exhaustive paper I'm aware of. <clears throat> okay, guys. That's the paper. Let's get to the video. I think a lot of people show up here to sometimes see me go over videos. <clears throat> All right, the video. I don't see any chat. So I will start the video. Let's see. Yeah. Don't see any chat here. Okay. <clears throat> the video today comes from uh, to us from a channel called Lawn Amateur. 14,000 subscribers, and the title of it is How to Apply Ironite Fertilizer to Get a Dark Green Lawn. Now, I'm going to skip through this um, this video a couple times, a couple timestamps here. It's only about a seven-minute video. I'm going to try to show only maybe three or four minutes of it. <clears throat> but I'm going to show this, and then I'm going to go back to the Ironite label. And let me see if I can get it going here. So in to set up the video... Basically, we have a guy, for those people listening, we have a guy on, it looks like he's in his backyard. He's holding a selfie camera, it looks like, and he's going to be talking about how he apply, or how do, he recommends applying ironite. <clears throat> and he has three steps, and I'm going to kind of skip ahead as he, he's going to introduce a step, and then I'm going to skip ahead the second one and third one and so forth. Here we go. But it is green, but I'm going to show you how to get a darker, deep green lawn using ironite so a lot of people said they've been having trouble when they use ironite it hasn't been working so i'm going to show you how to properly use ironite for that nice deep deep dark green lawn so stay tuned and let's go over it right now okay so that's a good, good introduction he's going to show you how to get a dark green lawn with ironite Okay, so for step number one, step number one, this is probably the most important step. You wanna make sure when you're buying these products, you're buying yourself a clean bag. I know once I go in my big box stores or like Walmart, Home Depot, or Lowe's, sometimes these products are thrown on the shelves, they're thrown in big cardboard cutouts, and they're wet, the bag is dirty or kind of moist or something of that nature. You wanna stay away from those bags because if you're buying a granulated product that is active by being watered in on your lawn just imagine when you buy the product you open the bag up the stuff is clumped up already because it's been wet on the shelves you want to stay clear of those products because they're not going to work properly once you bring those type of products home and put them in your spreader they're not going to spread evenly because they all clumped up and already been activated 
Okay. <clears throat> I agree. Um, he has a good point. If you're going to go to the, one, I'm not really sure why anybody would even go to the big box stores. I haven't bought a bag of fertilizer in a big box store unless I'm doing it for research, but maybe ever. They're very expensive. They don't contain what I would want to use. I end up going to the, the feed store, the, the local co-op store, you know, some, you know, turf distribution or something store or something. I don't ever buy from Lowe's Home Depot. I'm not sure why anybody would do that, but whatever. You want to go there and pick up something, feel free. But he's right. I mean, it is, they are clumpy when it gets wet. You don't want to apply it. When he, when he, but when he says he's a little bit, I think he misunderstands activation. When he says um, <clears throat> if, if they've, already, they've already been activated, well, all fertilizer has to be watered in. There's no fertilizer I'm aware of that can be taken into the plant unless it goes into water. Okay. I mean, <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> so it's not so much that the, that the fertilizer has been activated and now that it's been activated, it's not going to work. It's just that it's wet and it's going to be hard to spread out. So he's got a good point there. Don't buy wet fertilizer. Easy enough. So let's go to 225. 225, which is step number two home and we're ready to apply our product we're going to go with step number two we're going to read our directions now the directions state for best results mow and water well one to two days before applying ironite to soil so that means ironite wants you to apply this product to a moist soil so you're going to go ahead mow your lawn to the proper height water it deeply one to two days before applying ironite that's because it might help the granulars break down a lot faster. I know a lot of people probably skip this step. You probably get the product, go home, and just throw it down on the lawn, and your soil is already dry and hard and cracked. Even though you water it in, it probably still doesn't work as it's meant to work because you skipped a step. So <coughs> he says um, they probably re they recommend this because, um, well, what do you say? They recommend this because... Uh, um, what do you say here? Product, go home and just throw it down on the lawn and your soil is already dry and ironite. That's because it might help the granulars break down. Yeah, they want you to water your soil deeply one to two days before. And he's saying that's because it might help break it down. I don't know this guy's name. I would look it up. I don't know his name. I think he's being too nice. Okay. He's, he's, uh, believing what he's told. That's not why. Okay. He's saying that the manufacturer is telling them to water it in the water. No, not water the fertilizer, water the lawn deeply, mow it, water it in deeply or water the lawn deeply. One to two days before you apply the, apply the product. He's saying that's probably because it helps break it down, apply it to moist soil and so forth. I would disagree. And I'm going to tell you exactly why I think they're doing that. Okay. I will tell you in just one minute, I'm going to skip ahead to three 30. So he's so, so step one, buy a clean bag of fertilizer. Check. Gotcha. No problem. Step two, mow and water your lawn one to two days before you apply the product. Okay. Okay. Step three. Oh, the step three is pretty simple, straightforward. It is just make sure you apply the right amount on your lawn, which I completely agree with that also. To applying the product the proper way. So let's go to step number three. 
Okay, so for step number three, a lot of people probably miscalculate the size of their yards. I completely agree with that. <laughs> There's an app on uh, my phone. It used to be called Measure Map, and then they did away with it. Now I think some of the just uh, in the in-house apps will do this for you, but you can actually measure your lawn pretty accurately, actually, uh, using these apps on the phone. And I've, I've calibrated it by going, you can zoom in to like um, your local college football field and put it on the you know, one yard or the the goal line to goal line and see if it's a hundred yards. And it's dang near almost exactly 100.0 yards. I mean, it's they're very accurate. And so I would recommend you do that for your lawn because you might find that you're overestimating the size of your lawn and you don't need to buy as much fertilizer. So I completely agree with step one, which is buy a clean bag of fertilizer. Step three, measure your lawn. Okay. And he's saying, follow directions on step two, follow the directions, mow and water. And that's off, that's off on the bag. And I want to thank him for bringing that up because I didn't know the, and the tag said that. So let's go to the tag. Right here is what he's talking about. It says, for best results, right here is where I'm at. For best results, I already went over this tag a couple episodes ago. For best results, mow the lawn and water it well one to two days before you apply ironite. Okay. So I'm going to make sure we're all clear here on exactly what they're having us do for, I mean, the fertilizer being clean and measuring your lawn, that's all fine and dandy. But with regards to ironite, what the tag says is mow your lawn and water it well one to two days before. Then when you go down through here a little bit more, he didn't really um, go over the rest of the part, but that's, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. Um, it says apply this product to either a wet or dry lawn. So it doesn't have to be wet. It can be dry, but you know, one need to water a couple of days before. Then we go all the way down here and it says, note, ironite, and I did go over this before, ironite mineral supplement 101 is intended as a supplement to a regular fertilization program and may not by itself provide all the nutrients. So what they're saying is, is one, mow the lawn one or two days before, water it well one or two days before, and you should already be applying fertilizer to your lawn. It should, this should not be the only fertilizer. You should be applying regular fertilizer of one to four pounds of nitrogen per year per thousand square feet, one to four pounds. And this should be added to it as a supplement. It says right here, mineral supplement is intended as a supplement. So now let's step back from it. And this guy, I don't know his name. Thanks for doing the video, whoever you are. He, he I like that guy. He's, <laughs> he seems pretty sincere and he's just following the rules. He's just following what the label says, which I'm all for. Follow the label. Not a problem. Now I'm going to explain exactly how this label is intentionally designed to deceive you. Here we go. Ready? Let's take a hundred lawns. Let's take an aerial photograph, an aerial, you know, quadcopter, whatever, of a hundred lawns that are exactly the same size and dimensions and everything. You got a hundred of them. And randomly, you're going to mow and water and fertilize 50 of them. And the other 50, you're not going to mow or water or fertilize at all. Okay. Then to all of them, you're going to apply mill organ or uh, ironite at the, at the labeled rate. What do you think you're going to see? 
do you think you're going to see any difference between 50 of the lawns that were mowed and well-watered and well-fertilized compared to the other 50 lawns that were not mowed, not well-watered, and not fertilized? That's what's called the composition division fallacy. And, and on top of that, it's called confirmation bias. So let me explain what the composition division fallacy is. Whenever, uh, let me go back to me. <clears throat> so the compos composition division fallacy, how is it relative to this? It's not, this isn't a great example of it, but it is an example of it. This company is banking on you seeing a greener lawn as a result of their product that also had mowing and watering and fertilizer applied to it. And they're banking on your confirmation bias to go, oh, well, I played Ironite to that lawn and that looks better. That part of my lawn looks better, looks greener. It would look greener compared to a lawn that wasn't mowed and wasn't fertilized and wasn't, wasn't watered. It would look much better, probably. The composition division fallacy says that you, because you saw a response to all of these management practices combined, each individual management practice inside it also re also produced that response. Or the opposite. You could say one, one thing in there re resulted in a response, therefore they all resulted in the response. Now, I just showed you an article that had this particular raw material in it. Let's go back to the label. PDF, iron oxide. I just showed you an article that looked at 11 different soils and five, was it five time levels, five different time levels and four replications and not one going from 5.1 to 7.9, not a single one ever resulted in an increase in iron from iron oxide. Iron oxide never increased the solubility of iron in the soil compared to non-treated soil. So knowing that, knowing that there's essentially zero chance that this iron oxide and ironite is going to result in any soluble iron in the soil and in turn not going to result in any increase in iron in the plant or any greening knowing that or being convinced that that's the case why do you think they would tell you to mow it and water it and fertilize it before you put this down they know that you're going to see a response to mowing it and watering it and fertilizing it. Then you put the ironite, ironite down. You go, oh, well, I saw a response to ironite. No, you didn't. That's the composition division. You're, you're, you're wanting to see a response. You do see a response, but it's not from the iron oxide. It's from the other management practices that the label told you to follow because they know those management practices are very likely going to result in an increase in quality and growth of your lawn. And it's that that results in the increased quality and growth, not their product, not the iron oxide in this product, I should say. Okay. And you sit and you might say, no, nah, Travis, you're being cynical. There's not, there's, they don't have these meetings. They don't sit around and think, well, how can we, how can we convince people to put out this product and actually have them see a response they wouldn't sit around and think about it. Yes, they would. Don't forget I was in sales for six years. Okay. They have these meetings. Okay. <laughs> Believe me. Okay. These meetings go on all the time. This product 
the iron oxide in this product has the lowest possible positive number chance of resulting in a turf grass greening. The evidence is extremely strong on this. But if you don't water it and mow it and fertilize it prior to and you put this out, you're not going to see a response and you're not going to keep buying it. They know that. Okay, guys and gals? That's all I got. Okay. Um, anything in the chat? I have I have some uh, music at the end today. I'm going to be back on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday morning, and then Wednesday evening. I'm going to go over some more stuff. I was going to show for for the gentleman who I I won't mention who it was or whatever. For the gentleman who I mentioned earlier in a chat forum about showing you some foliar uh, staining, I have that that picture. But on, on concrete, I have these various um, foliar iron sources and, and concrete stains. I just couldn't figure out a way to show it on the screen. I don't know how to do that. I'll figure it out, and I'll also get the label for it, so I'll know exactly what was what. And I'll probably I'll try to show that on Monday morning for that particular gentleman who was wanting to see that. So, um, so that's that. And uh, let's see if there's anything in here in the chat. Super TA says, you mean all these years of hearing spray and pray was a sales pitch like throw her down. <laughs> well, if you spray iron, you're probably going to see a pretty good chance. There's a good chance you're going to see a response to it if it's soluble. That's for sure. If it's soluble iron, there's a pretty good chance you're going to see a response to it. I think the point is, is that um, there are differences in the staining capabilities or the risks of foliar iron between chelates and non-keys there is a difference i was going to show that tonight but i can't figure out how to show it on the screen uh, i'll try to show that on monday morning um but the value to the plant and the value and you know in the soil and so forth it's really you know you start with iron sulfate which is the, the least expensive source as a foliar and if you're going to do anything else it better be for a good reason and, and, the, and the good reason is not because it's going to increase soil solubility that's the take-home message for them today for today there unless it's edta dtpa or eddha there's really no point in putting anything in the soil iron and iron in the soil and if you're going to spray it on the leaf surface well I would just use iron sulfate unless you have a problem in the tank, you know, like combat compatibility issues with other compounds in the tank that would clog up your screens and so forth. And I mentioned that in another video as well. Okay. But I wouldn't buy chelates unless there was a, there was a uh, compatibility issue that I'm trying to avoid in the mixing of the other products. Cause there's no soils. There's no really no soil benefit uh, to, to anything other than the three chelates that I showed, the EDTA, DTPA, and EDH, all these other citrates and glucoheptanates and all these other things are just a bunch of nonsense. Eric Sand says, thank you for this one. While I've already been avoiding granular applied iron, I know I know now have a much better understanding as to why. There you go. That's why we're here. How do we know what we know? I'm fascinated by how most chelates do so little. Yeah. So Eric Sand, I mean, that's, that's why we're here. That's why the channel exists. How do we know what we know? Now we can argue and discuss the, the the term knowledge. No, how do we know anything? That's another issue. But and when I say no, how do we really believe, or why do why do we really why are we really really convinced? That's what I mean when I say no. So how do we know? Now you have a better understanding as to why this is the case. Now you have a better understanding as when I say a citrate's not a chelate, that is one reason of many. But that is why I'm saying and why I'm convinced that it's not a soil chelate. 
That's why I'm saying, you know, you'll see some turf papers in the next couple, next time, like probably the next very next episode will be a turf response paper. And you'll see why I don't see any value in applying glucoheptanate versus sulfate because I don't see any benefit to glucoheptanate over sulfate on the plant. I don't see it. There's, there's, it just doesn't exist in my, in my studies that I published. So that, that's why I know. So I'm glad you said that, Eric. That's, we want to understand why it is, you know, why it is this it happens. How do we know this? <clears throat> Matt DeGoyer says, this science subject makes so much sense. It's easy to be conned and harder to b- convince someone otherwise if they're truly misled. Yeah, it's, it, it's difficult to reason your way out of something you didn't reason your way into. If they didn't reason their way into that belief, that say iron iron is needed on the soils. If they didn't reason their way into it, it's not easy to reason your way out. Okay, we we have to stay stay focused on you know the, the, let the evidence guide us, and and I'll be, I'll be the first person to stand up if someone um, comes out with some new iron product and says this this is going to do this in the soil and it's going to increase the solubility and it's going to increase the plant response and I go on a study and do it and they publish it and they do it I, I say hey. That's convincing evidence. I need to start adjusting my management practices and my counseling, my recommendations, um, likewise. But it just hasn't happened yet. It just doesn't happen. So you have to reason your, you have to use reason and logic and evidence to help guide your opinions. Because if you get into a situation where you're conned into it and you're indoctrinated into it and you didn't reason your way into it, it's really hard to reason your way out. Um, okay guys, that's all I got. I got a little music at the end here. It's an extremely long song. Uh, don't feel bad. It didn't fin me at all if you hang up, but, uh, <laughs> for those people who are interested in some eclectic music, um, it's coming up and I will be back on Monday morning at 10 AM until then be kind, have a good evening, have a good weekend. Thank you all. See you. Bye.